your digital library experience. Podcasts from algoafm.co.za. Welcome back, Dr. Kathy Walton. Thank you very much. Uh, so, it's it's four and a half years since we spoke, and I was like, when the the suggestion for the chat came, I was like, I'm sure I spoke to Kathy already, but I realise now that it is in fact four and a half years ago. And as you rightly reminded, that was uh, 2019, the year that Algoa FM um, was uh, squatting briefly <laughs> at the Nelson Mandela <laughs> Bay Stadium. Um, yeah, and uh, haven't those four and a half years? Gone in the blink Ooh, of an eye. What a lot has happened in those four and a half years. Right? Mm. To recap, though, very quickly, if for, for anybody who, who didn't hear our chat four and a half years ago, which is entirely possible, uh, just a quick a background on you. Where are you from? I was... I wasn't born in PE. I always say I was born and bred in PE, but I wasn't. Right, okay. <laughs> I, um, I was born in George, but I, I grew up in Port Elizabeth. So from the age of about six, I've been in PE. Uh, yeah, and I remember from our previous chat that you were very certain from a very early age that medicine was going to be your thing, just not exactly what kind, right? Yes, okay. 100%. From the age of four, I was one of those lucky children who knew what exactly what I was going to do. I don't remember formulating that decision, but I knew I was going to be a doctor. So if anyone asked me, what are you going to be do when you get big? I was, I'm going to be a doctor. Right. So I'm still trying to get big. So, <laughs> I'm well, mastering the art. <laughs> it, it's, it's funny you should say that because I remember saying um, during our last chat that my parents are still hoping that I'll get a real job. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so far, no luck. <laughs> still this one then. Uh, it's been a while though. Um, right. So it, it, the medicine it's going to be and we do the necessary. We get the school marks that are required and we're off to varsity. Uh, was it Bloemfontein? Yes, it was Bloom. Yeah? Yes, it was okay. Bloom. Um, it, I always wanted it to be Stellenbosch. I get it. Uh, but my dad was transferred oh, to Bloemfontein in my matric year. Yes. And then it was, well, if we can save on, on accommodation fees and all of that, sorry, change it to Bloom. You're going off to Bloom. Well, particularly so, if you're going to be there for seven years. Mm. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you, that was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then next up, um, and this this is our glorious intersection, you went to go and worked at the Frontier Hospital in Queenstown, where quite a number of years ago, um, they made me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was born in the Frontier Hospital in Queenstown, as, as we, we spoke mm-hmm. about last time. And you were saying that you were involved um, during your, your community work and, and stuff like that with uh, stuff that made you realize quite quickly where it is that you didn't want to be. Yes, I did a lot of, of uh, pediatric work in, in, at Frontier Hospital. Um, heartbreaking work. I always wanted to do pediatrics and was quite interested in pediatric oncology. Um, and I just realized one day that I would be torn between, between my own children and someone else's child. And how do you make that decision? Yeah. So um, I realized also that, that the world can be kind of very harsh at times and especially towards can children. Be, yeah. And I think that I was probably very wise in saying I don't actually want to do this because I saw a lot of the the hurt that children are exposed to. Mm. I was the only female GP uh, working in in Frontier Hospital at the time and a lot of the children conditions they they would send the children to me to examine and have a look at for the female touch Um, and it was heartbreaking. It was really heartbreaking what society does to children. 
True that. I've said it with, with every kind of care professional I think that I've ever spoken to. I know that it takes a lot of time, effort, money to become a doctor. And despite that, I, I regard it as a fairly noble calling, for want of a better way of putting it. You are practically saying, for the rest of your life, you are going to hold a special set of people who rely on your skills very close to your heart, because that's the way you are, um, but also on, on a sometimes medical journey that doesn't go the way that it's planned. Mm. That that for me is, is something that I said at the time, and I stick with my original answer. I simply couldn't, and I don't know how you do. So you have my unending admiration, and anyone who does what you do. That's one of the reasons you're sitting here. You've been singled out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oopsie! <laughs> for an award. Um, <laughs> but you have to buy some timeshare first. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> So what we've been talking about kind of largely about in the lead up to the 25th Algoa FM Big Walk Powered uh, powered by Isuzu um, is that all of us have lost someone to cancer. All of us know someone fighting right now. And hopefully all of us know someone who has beaten it for once and for all. There are lots of those. What there are very few of are people like you. People who have taken a unique interest and approach to to the way that that you do the business of oncology, um, and it, it it hasn't gone unrecognized. Um, I, I've heard uh, heard some horrible stories, and, and I don't know to what extent that informed your decision to to maybe do this. Um, uh, that the way you'd seen some patients treated left you going, I don't want to be like that. Yes, yeah, so that is, is right from my undergrad studies. I uh, was probably in my third or fourth year doing gynecology. And one episode left me that left me haunted, um, where an old lady, probably in her 70s or 80s, was just had had a gynecological cancer and she was just left in a stirrup chair because people were going on lunch and going on tea and... and um, she was just left, and as a as a young medical student, you can't really do much. You can't you don't know what you're doing. It was within the first couple of months of or couple of weeks of of gynecological training, and all I could do was hold her hand while she was just tearing in pain. And um, it was it. I just thought I can't do this to a patient. Where's the dignity? Where's the where's the the humanity going in medicine? Hmm. And that shaped me, shaped who I want to become as a doctor. Yeah. The question I have for you almost immediately is, why do you think it is that so many, and I really don't want you to to risk popularity amongst your colleagues by answering my question (laughs) honestly, but I really, I, I want the answer to this question. So many specialists are amazing at the medical part of what they do, but their bedside manner is less than ideal. It's almost like it's a sausage machine and I need it. I'm seeing a patient every 15 minutes and we go, 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 go. And I don't have to be nice because I'm still giving you the best treatment you can possibly get. Why is that? I think that the demands on on doctors and specialists are extremely high. Um, the number of, of 
let's just look at oncologists. The number of oncologists in South Africa, I think the total number of oncologists is 250. So that's medical and radiation oncologists. That's In that's this country? In this country. And that's to service the entire country. And that's just not enough. The majority of those are in, in private practice. So you can imagine what the, the doctors, in the oncologists in government practice are going through. And in private practice, there's always somebody else who, who is making demands on your time. Rightly so. They, they have cancer. They are suffering. They need help. Um, so we forget sometimes just to take a breather and look and listen to the person in front of us, not the cancer in front of us, not mm. to treat the cancer, but to actually treat the patient who's sitting in front of us right now. I think that we, we forget that, and it could perhaps be a, a defense mechanism as well because part of listening to the patient and giving the time to the patient, you're actually giving part of yourself and your, your heart, and you, 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 the patient becomes part of you. And that's sometimes difficult to deal with because you might be saying goodbye to the patient in a couple of weeks, a couple of months, a couple of years, um, and that's difficult. So it it is a um, concerted effort that one has to make to actually keep the humanity going and focus on the patient sitting in front of you. Yeah, I I, I suppose if if you kind of engage completely, you would be an absolute wreck after every single patient. So, So there's obviously a healthy balance to be drawn. Very much so, although sometimes one does feel that you you are a wreck after every single patient. <laughs> and, and maybe that's more of a, a testament to your humanity than, than it is to almost anything else. That, that the fact that, that you're not new to this respectfully, that, that you are still a feeling person when surely every survival instinct in you must be shouting, don't. <laughs> like, Please. how much how much more do you have to give? And apparently... Um, well, <laughs> lots. Yes. So, so I think the the advantage to being a female is that we are, we are allowed to feel. We uh, haven't been uh. taught to unlearn how to feel. So, and and that I think is a great advantage for female doctors. Uh, we also have that sixth instinct, which is another advantage for female doctors. Is this little voice that we learn we, we learn how to listen to? I think men are taught don't listen to that sixth voice, or it, it doesn't the, it doesn't come out as loudly. Mm. And I, I I do believe that because we haven't unlearned how to feel, it's easier to feel for our patients. So there's no harm in shedding a tear. I think it would be strange for a lot of patients if they saw their male doctors shed a, che- a tear with them. But for their female doctor to, to shed a tear and actually feel, um, it, it helps the patients as well to realize there is humanity out there. Hmm. How do you not take your, home, your, your work home with you? I do take my work home with me, both literally and figuratively. Okay. Um, I, my day is never done. Um, and I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm thinking about a patient. I wake up in the middle of the night I'm thinking about, oh, is this the latest data? And go and check up and make sure that I'm following international standards, international guidelines for management of my patients, or that I've informed them if I can't do that. So I don't really ever switch off. There's always a little work, a work button going on in my brain. Um, my poor husband has to deal with that. Is, is this the part where we shift you out of the way and, and, and get, get some real answers? Um, no, I, I get it. I, I, 
do you make use of a healthcare, a mental healthcare professional? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Um, it's essential. I, I um, have ups and downs like everybody else. And, and to debrief about what one goes through on a daily basis um, with work environment, with patients environment, and just generally in life. Um, I think we, we are undergoing so much stress in our lives and our bodies are just internalizing that. And that's probably part of the reason why we're seeing more and more cancers sure. or hearing more and more about it is because our bodies are in a constant state of stress. So for me, just to, to see a mental health professional and to have them listen to me and sometimes explain to me why I do the things that I do um, and explain to me that I'm not going crazy and that I am actually a nice person, even though um, sometimes I've got to give bad news to people, um, it really, really helps. And I, I cannot imagine anybody doing the job that that we do without having to needing to go and see someone every every now and again hmm. i suppose on a related note how good are you at delegating you're bad aren't you <laughs> i'm a little bit of a micromanager okay um which which so, i'm very good delegator <laughs> uh, but i will supervise that you've done it properly <laughs> there's there's some contradictory sign language from the back of the studio just in <laughs> case you were wondering um, <laughs> it was Jill. Um, <laughs> I bailed you out this time, dude. Um, anyway, no. So we have, we have your 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 better half um, in in studio with us as as well. Not not for the purposes of chatting, but uh, perhaps for a, a nice uh, look around the building, which is surely I, I suppose an outing like this is is slightly atypical for you. Um, you've just been seeing a patient, and the next thing you're you're sitting in a radio studio. Yes, quite exciting. Hmm. <laughs> and you haven't been to our new building yet, so there's no, also I that. Yes. Yeah. So, so Jill will complete the tour because I'm going to do some adulting a little while later on, which I don't recommend highly at all. Uh, um, Twelve out of ten do not recommend. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. So we're at the point now um, where you were brought back to light, so to speak, by the fact that that you have been involved in the. Uh, dedicated, professional, sensitive treatment of, of um, our warrior woman, um, Jill Fordy, who we, we all hold very dear. So I said the army that she's gone to fight with is, uh, is, is um, quite impressive. Um, it's everyone here and everyone she knows and a few others. Mm-hmm. Um, so whilst, whilst we don't want to shine a disproportionate light on one case, this, this is the case with which I have the most knowledge or the one the journey i followed the most closely most recently and it involves it happens to involve two exceptional um care professionals in in the form of of your primary oncology care of of jill and then of course all the, all the secondary stuff um not really secondary but you understand the concept um performed by dr renel gower who we spoke to last week uh, do you guys work together often Yes, we do work together quite often. Um, she and I have a very similar work ethic and a very similar uh, idea about how to, manage, <laughs> how to manage cancer and, and how we can help our patients to the absolute best of our ability. Hmm. So it's, it helps to know that you're, the people you're working with have the same ethics and the same ideas, um, the same ideals and this, the same striving for excellence to do the best that we can absolutely possibly do for each patient. Hmm. Um, so yeah, we work we work together quite often, quite closely. 
And it always helps to phone a friend. <laughs> True story. <laughs> Even if there isn't a million bucks on the line. <laughs> Absolutely. Because <laughs> life is worth a little more than that. More, more often than, than not, I think you'll find. Um, there was one thing that I also wanted to ask you. Oh, uh, how has your life been touched by cancer? Do you have a personal experience? Because everyone must. Um, everyone knows someone, is related to someone, is friends with someone. Um, has has there been a, a particular cancer journey that that entered your life? Strangely enough, I my my grandfather died of cancer when I was quite young. I would think I was about eleven or twelve years old, and I don't remember much about his journey. I do remember the. Um, anxiety of of my family i remember walking down the the uh, hallways of provincial hospital in those days and and what went through my mind was nothing about what was what my parents were going through or what my grandfather was going through it was i want to one day wear high heels down the hallways of provincial hospital and sound like a real doctor um and that was probably a very naive very young uh, version of of sick people I suppose. But it, when reality hits and one realizes what people go through, which is as one gets older, you see it, um, that was the beginning of shaping me. Now, how am I touched by cancer every single day of my life? I say I'm one of the fortunate people who is blessed by my patients, and I can see those blessings because every day of my life I am reminded to appreciate life. And I'm reminded how valuable life is and how valuable our relationships are with each other. Because I have patients who have the ground taken out from under them getting the diagnosis that they have cancer and then fighting a battle to survive. And then on the other hand, I have patients who are fighting a battle just to to live an extra day or to live an extra moment. And that makes one realize the blessing of being in people's lives and being able to make a difference, but also to to be exposed to the fact just live your life, enjoy your life, uh, appreciate life. And I get that reminder on a constant basis. On a 15-minute to 15-minute <laughs> basis, I, I, would, I would venture. Yeah, wow, that is, that is quite a thing. Uh, so, so the next question, I suppose, becomes um, – What's next for you? Do do we continue on, on this path? I suppose learning constantly is obviously part of your reality as well. Um, more likely to be reading um, some kind of medical journal than a Mills and Boone, uh, I would venture. I do do a lot of uh, reading. I do a lot of fictional and non-fictional reading. So I, I do balance. like... Believe, it's all about balance. Believe it or not, I like psychological thrillers because it's just a complete and utter escape for me. So I do that late at night and when I can't sleep, I, I take out my psychological thrillers. But yes, continual learning. We don't, we don't stop. We have to keep up to date uh, with all the latest advancements and being able to apply it in South Africa where applicable. So we need to know what drugs are coming up, when they're used, how they're used, and then hang on and wait until they become available in South Africa for use. So it's it's a continual – we always want to give the best we can possibly get uh, give to our patients. So it's a continual matter of learning. We are finding out new things about all sorts of cancers um, on a daily basis. And it's it's really exciting world to be in at the moment because the advances are all in the genetics of cancer, which means that 
although chemo is still effective, we can sometimes use less toxic drugs by targeting specific areas within the cancer that's making the cancer grow quicker. So those advancements are happening at an alarming rate. So it is very, very difficult to keep up. Does the world have an interest in a cure? Unfair. This is sure. kind of question that a question right now, perhaps. But <laughs> because I, I, I'm, I'm sorry to say, um, one of the things that, that, that often you're reminded is um, a patient healed is a client lost. There's, there's almost a like a. Sometimes you get that feeling with with some chronic conditions that they're managed to continue rather than manage to resolve. Um, so I'm talking with, with one of the biggest icks of mankind, cancer. Yes. Do you think, are we working towards a, a situation where can you imagine a cancer-free world? Could you? I can't imagine a cancer-free world because I think part of, of the reason why we're getting cancer is because we're destroying our world. Hmm. So um, I can't imagine a cancer-free world, but that being said, with modern immunotherapy and targeted agents, our patients are surviving much longer. Um, and the other most important thing is early detection. So if that one has early detection, question, yeah. you, you want to, we all want to cure our patients. But there, even if you cure your patient, there's still a risk that the cancer can come back. Yeah. So with early detection, it can be found early, treated early, and then you don't have the, the uh, severity of metastatic disease and, and death, ultimately. Yeah. And that's our aim. And that is where the modern-day drugs come in and what you can use and, and how you can best improve the patient's life. Right. And I think to wrap, um, we, we get to get some free advice from a very expensive <laughs> professional. Um, <laughs> as, as a person listening to this, and we're talking Cancer Awareness Month, they, they all are, surely. Um, you know, you don't only get cancer in October, for instance. <laughs> it, it doesn't wait. Um, so anyone listening to this, um, I'm sure you've given this advice to plenty of people before, and this advice is should be common knowledge, but it isn't. And as part of your advice, would you please factor in why men are so stubborn? <laughs> and more reluctant to seek treatment. Oh, but but let, let's rather go to... Um, <laughs> I don't think common, it's limited to men. <laughs> fair enough. Com, common sense steps we should be taking other than wear sunscreen. So basically get to know your body. Uh, get to know what your body looks like, get to know what your body feels like, uh, watch your skin, get to know what, what is normal on your body and what is ab abnormal on your body. And the next thing is changes. So any changes that happen, report them. It doesn't matter if one finds out it's not cancer and you laugh about being a little bit anxious. If you find something that is cancer, it's worth it. And I'm, I'm thinking specifically of skin, but, but skin cancers. But you can also have changes um, in a breast. If you feel a change in your breast, um, go to a doctor. Have it checked out because change is, is one of the first signs of cancer. And it can be change in a lump. It can be change in a bump. It can be change in the texture of the skin, the look of the skin, the color of the skin. Um, and that's the, that's a first sign that something is going wrong. A lot of people believe, oh, it's not painful. This lump isn't painful, so it's not cancer. And that is absolutely wrong. You want to take it out before it gets painful. 
So rather take something out and find out it's not cancer than wait Leave for something it to become in that might be. more extensive. Yeah. So change is the most important. A lot of a lot of people complain that mammogram didn't pick my, my cancer up. But if you go back and you look at what the mammogram was doing and what it was saying, you actually see small changes. And that is very, very important. So to do one mammogram and say it never picked my cancer up and then you've got breast cancer six months, seven months later, it's probably because there wasn't a serial of mammograms that one could actually have a look at and see, but there are changes that are happening, therefore this is suspicious. Yeah. So get to know your body, look at the changes, and and if something is worrying you, go to a doctor and get it checked out. Yeah. Don't hesitate. You were talking about self-examination, and, and your focus seems to be primarily women. And then every November, um, we see all those men who grow those hideous mustaches. And I am <laughs> forced to say, grow the mustache by all means. We'll put up with it. Um, but please don't ignore the self-checks that <laughs> that are, are implied. Yes. Um, yeah, don't, yes. don't grow the mustache if you don't know your own status, yes. so to speak. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And we all are human. We all forget. Uh, we forget to do our checks. We forget to to um, go for our mammograms. Forget to go for our PSAs. Um, but oopsie, I see that look. <laughs> uh huh. But they should be put it in your cell phone. You know, once a month or or once a year when it's your when it's time for a mammogram, have that cell phone ping 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 until you allow it to stop pinging. Uh, it, we've got so many modern apps and techniques that we can remind us to to look after ourselves that we should actually not have any excuses. Yeah. Well, if we are all going to be slaves to technology, we should at least make it work for us a little, huh? Make it work for you. Absolutely. <laughs> got it. Dr. Kathy Walton, thank you again for, for joining us. Um, your unique pro- approach um, and particularly the level of empathy that, that you employ in the way that, that you go about your work is not unnoticed. It's much appreciated. And I'm sure that there are a whole lot, pe- a whole lot of people who are much better off for you being in their lives than they would otherwise have been. Thank you very much, Charles. Thank Thanks. you for the kind words. Cool. Your digital library experience. Podcasts from algoafm.co.za.